this week's market update. Shares bounce back, the Fed starts its tightening cycle, and is this as bad as it gets for China? Well, sometimes it's better and worse to travel than to arrive. Last week, the bad news was backing up around the block, but stock markets enjoyed their best week for more than a year. Remarkably, European stocks at the epicentre of concerns about the war in Ukraine have now fully recovered from the shock of Russia's invasion. The stock's 600 index that tracks shares across the region fell by more than 10% from the invasion to the low point two weeks ago. Since then, it's recovered pretty much all the lost ground. That's true also of Germany, which is arguably as badly placed as any European country in light of its heavy dependence on Russian energy. That's despite the war getting bogged down into what looks like it could be a long and bloody phase of attrition, with Russia clearly failing in its initial objective of a quick victory and regime change, but Ukraine probably unable, despite its courageous defence, to push the invader back beyond its borders. Goldman Sachs has cut its growth forecast for the region from 4% before the war to 2.5%, so clearly the view remains that the war will have a big economic impact. But the more positive story is focused on the greater EU cohesion caused by the conflict and the likelihood that spending on defence could rise sharply in the years ahead. The other apparent bad news that investors had already priced in last week was the decision by the Federal Reserve to press ahead with its planned tightening cycle, despite the economic hit in Europe. The Fed also made it clear that last week's quarter-point hike in US interest rates is just the start of an extended series. The delivery of the hike was simply confirmation of what investors already knew was on its way, however, and the S&P 500 rose 2% on the day of the hike, and kept on rising from there. The Nasdaq index, which is thought to be the part of the market most vulnerable to higher rates, had its best week in a year, up 6.5%, even if it remains 13% below the level it started 2022. And scratch beneath the surface to look at the unprofitable tech stocks rather than the more important fangs, and it's still carnage. An index of these more speculative shares is down 60% so far this year. The third element of bad news last week, China, was also short-lived and quickly reversed. China is facing a perfect storm of worries, but on a number of fronts there's good reason to think that we may have had the darkest hour. A week ago, Chinese shares plunged after a week-long lockdown was ordered in Shenzhen, the key commercial hub just over the border from Hong Kong. China is persisting with its zero-Covid policy, which means that even just a handful of cases in a city can lead to a total shutdown of activity. That's obviously a problem for China, but more broadly it suggests supply chain issues could be with us for some time yet. However, an apparent easing of travel and quarantine restrictions in Hong Kong this week suggests that the worst might be over on the Covid front. The second big issue for Chinese stocks recently has been the geopolitical tit-for-tat between the US and China, in which US-listed Chinese stocks, so-called ADRs, have been kicked around. Chinese companies have been told that they need to provide transparency in terms of their accounts, but also the personal accounts of their directors if they wish to retain a US listing. This change has been touted since the Trump presidency, but it's just starting to take effect. With almost all of the 236 affected companies also having a Hong Kong listing, it's not clear 
what the real damage of the standoff would be, but it's been bad for sentiment, especially coinciding as it has with the economic sanctions being imposed on Russia. Many investors are just taking the view that emerging market risk is too great, especially on the back of the recent regulatory squeeze by Beijing, which has seemed in recent years to be more interested in social cohesion than continuing economic growth. Foreign investors have sold a record $6 billion worth of Chinese shares in the first three months of the year. Time then for Vice Premier Liu Hei to step into the fray with a rare suggestion from the Chinese authorities in the middle of last week that they have the markets back. He promised unspecified measures to boost the economy and policies that are favourable to the market. Having underperformed for so long, the rally by some of the most beaten up Chinese stocks was spectacular and measures of volatility in Chinese markets have gone through the roof. Investing in China is clearly not risk-free at the moment. Events in Ukraine have highlighted the dangers inherent in the ongoing standoff between China and Taiwan, but a number of larger investors are starting to sniff an opportunity in China. Credit Suisse said it had moved overweight, calling Beijing's new messaging significant, and Citigroup also upgraded Chinese shares to overweight. Now, hopping back to the impact of the Fed tightening, clearly one of the biggest losers in an inflationary environment of rising interest rates is the whole fixed income universe, most notably bonds, where rising prices eat into the purchasing power of both bond coupons and the maturity value of the bonds when they're repaid. Inflation, in short, is a killer for bonds. This is doubly the case if, as some well-known investors, such as the former PIMCO bond king Bill Gross suggests, the Fed proves unable to raise interest rates as far as they would like due to the damage that this would cause the economy and particularly the housing market. High inflation and low yields would make bonds even less attractive. That has many investors rethinking the 60-40 balance portfolios which have served investors so well for many years thanks to the low correlation between shares and bonds. Holding both in the ratio 60% shares and 40% bonds has given investors a smooth ride which may no longer be possible if the two assets start to move more in tandem in a more inflationary environment. Some back-of-the-envelope analysis by our colleagues in the US has shown that replacing the 40% bond portion of a balanced portfolio with a mixture of inflation-linked and high-yield bonds, cash, commodities, gold and even a little bitcoin could do a much better job of smoothing the ride for investors and delivering acceptable returns over time. The analysis also suggests that tweaking the equity portion by splitting the shares allocation between large cap growth and smaller value stocks. For a non-US investor with a narrower set of opportunities than that provided by the huge US stock market, some international diversification probably also makes sense. What's interesting is that backtesting the performance of this inflation 60-40 portfolio has come close to matching the long-term performance of the S&P 500 index, but without the sometimes stomach-churning volatility that an investor limited to the US stock market would have experienced over the years. By comparison, during the 2000-2002 dot-com crash, the inflation 60-40 portfolio would have fallen by no more than 14% compared with 26% for a traditional equity bond 60-40 portfolio and 47% for the S&P 500. Diversification. It's hard to overstate its importance. 
And finally, what's going on with the oil price? Clearly a crucial question as far as inflation goes. The consensus here is clear. Oil will be expensive for the foreseeable future. Demand is strong and supply curtailed by sanctions on Russia. Well, that's not the view of the commodities team at City, which thinks the oil price will be down to around $60 a barrel by the end of the year. That would be a major plus for us all, implying less need for rate rises, cheaper input costs for businesses and more disposable income for the rest of us. City's argument has four parts. First, rising demand is just a return to normal after a deep recession and not really anything more longer term or significant. Second, Russian sanctions will have less impact than many expect. The alacrity with which India is buying up cheaper Russian oil production is testament to this. Third, US shale producers are likely to start pumping again, if only to ramp up production so their private equity owners can get out of the market. And finally, producers around the world, from Brazil to Venezuela and even Iran, are likely to fill the production gap more than previously thought. Who knows? If the past few months have taught us anything, it's to treat the consensus view with caution. Please be aware the value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, so you may not get back what you invest. This information does not constitute investment advice and should not be used as the basis for any investment decision, nor should it be treated as a recommendation for any investment. Investors should also note that the views expressed may longer be current and may have already been acted upon. Reference to specific securities should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell these securities and is included for the purposes of illustration only. Fidelity Personal Investing does not give personal recommendations. If you are unsure about the suitability of an investment, you should speak to an authorised financial advisor. This podcast may not be reproduced or circulated without prior permission. It is meant for UK residents and does not constitute an offer or solicitation in any jurisdiction in which it may be unlawful to make such an offer or solicitation. No statements or representations made in this podcast are legally binding on Fidelity or the recipient. Issued by Financial Administration Services Limited, authorised and regulated in the UK by the Financial Conduct Authority. Fidelity, Fidelity International, the Fidelity International logo and F symbol are trademarks of FIL Limited.